0: Morning church. We get to talk about love today. I love to talk about love. <laughs> you know, out of all the character traits, uh, the nine character traits of of the fruit of the spirit, um, this is this is the greatest, I believe. at least that's what I'm going to try to present to you. Today, uh, I think that this is the one the Holy Spirit is 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 want, wants us to focus on with all intentionality. I mean, with all with all the zeal that is within us. I think He wants. See, like like if we were to, in fact, Matthew and I did this. Like at the beginning of trying to plan this out, we were thinking, let's take every one of these fruit of the Spirit and apply it to a room in the church. Uh, because that's kind of the way I, I picture it. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's not like a whole bunch of different fruits. It's it's like a cluster, you know, like grapes or something. But I also see it kind of like you know how you don't, you don't live in houses. You live in a house, right? But within that house it has many rooms. So the rooms make up the house. And that's kind of the way that I see this is, is uh, You know, you have a bathroom and a bedroom and and stuff like this, but it's one house. And the fruit of the spirit is—it's the spirit—is divided up in nine? Like, there's nine spirits living in us. There's one Holy Spirit that lives in us, but he's made up in in all of these different forms. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, self-control, and and this is what he wants to develop in us. Um, So if we were to, you know, take love and apply it to one room in this church, what would it be? Would it be the nursery? Would it be, you know, the the front door? Would it be the auditorium? And Matthew, I can't even remember what we did with love. I remember a lot of them. But uh, I can't help but think that it's like maybe right here, you know, where we are pouring ourselves out to God and we are loving him. We are feeling his love back. Uh, but but anyhow, love, love, it, it's, it's the first one on the list, isn't it? I don't think that's by mistake, really, when I think about this. I think, you know, all of these are super important, and God's wanting us to focus on these and renovate these within our lives, our inner self. But I can't help but think this love, the, the space in our life that uh, God wants you know, to be love is an important space. You know, being loved is one of the greatest needs that we have since the time we were born. And if you don't believe me, just find somebody that wasn't loved properly and see if that isn't lingering in their life. Right? Um, if you want to scar somebody or or, or you know, just give them a, a lifelong struggle withhold love from them when they're young and they will always struggle they will always have this scar this pain that goes with them if you take a child and, and don't love them well or love them wrongly even you know um and we'll talk about that in a minute but, but uh, you, will, you will do something to that child that even when they are adults they are still dealing with uh, that's how powerful this subject is um love the bible talks about it uh all the time i mean it's like the biggest subject of the bible and the bible talks about some pretty amazing things right i mean we just mentioned some of those uh uh, joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and and uh uh you know all these things and and they're they're huge they're big uh, it talks about faith, right, and that it can move mountains. How, how important is faith? I mean, it's pretty important it can move mountains. It talks about grace that can take the most stubborn heart and yield it, uh, change it from within. It talks, it talks about hope. How important is hope? I mean, there are so many subjects, so many topics that the Bible talks about that are wonderful, But yet, when it talks about love, it tries to elevate it above all of these things that I just mentioned, above joy and hope and faith and all these things. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 13, how does it start? This is how it starts. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Now, for one, would that not be awesome if you could speak in the tongues of men and of angels? But do not have love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, if I have these super human powers, right, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, what does it say? I'm nothing. I mean... Big deal you can move mountains with your faith. Big deal that you can say what's going to happen in the future. If you don't have love, that means nothing to God. That's what he's trying to express here, I think, right? If I give away all I have. Now, I have no doubt that people in the world would still think you're something, right? But I'm just talking about from God's perspective. How does God see it? If I give away all I have and if I deliver all my body to be burned... But have not love, I have gained nothing. How important is love to God? How important is love to the Holy Spirit? You know, it ends there in verse 13. It says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love. I I was telling Greg that when I was writing this sermon, um, part of it anyway, I was just wanting to get in the mood, right? And so I have Spotify. We have this neat little um, uh, wireless speaker thing in, in our bedroom now. And so I was in there in a chair, and I was just typing on my sermon. And I decided to uh, have Alexa. How many of you have this ability? You can just tell Alexa to do things, right? And I said, Alexa, play my, my love songs. And so she just starts playing them. But before, and and I just downloaded on my computer just before, and I just picked two decades, right? Two decades, like the 70s and 80s love songs, because I'm trying to get in the mood, you know, to write about love. And uh, you know how many songs my computer downloaded? I'm so glad I was connected to the Internet and not my phone connected to data. 461 songs. My, they have a lot to sing about when it comes to love. That's 31 hours and 21 minutes. I'll never get through those. <laughs> um, but the point is, is that love. I mean, it's, it's such an important subject. We know it's importance, right? We know what it's like to not be loved, the effects of it. We, we, we know how important it is to be loved. We know how important the subject is. It's the most important subject. It's, it's the most popular subject that we could ever write about or that people have written about. The Holy Spirit knows this more than anybody else how important it is. So he begins this nine characteristics of that make up the Holy Spirit and he starts off by saying love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, but love. Love is, is so important. You know, it makes the it makes not only the first, you know, the top of the, that list, but, but God wants us to focus on it more than anything else, I think. I think once we get love right, so many other things fall into place. You know, it seems like, you know, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, all those things just kind of fall into place when we really nail down this love. And, and for us to be followers of Jesus and not love well, if, if, if we're not loving well, I, th- I, th- I think that we're really struggling with our relationship with Jesus. It should just be like a byproduct. We should be people who love well. Love is the most important. Here's the first point that I have about love. Love is powerful. And boy, I started writing about that, and I was just like, you know what? We're just going to have one point this week. That's it. And some of you are like, whew, this is going to be short. That's good. It's not going to be very short. But love is, it is just that. It's so powerful, isn't it? The power can be seen in so many dimensions. I mean, it can go from extremes too, right? When we talk about love. We can talk about the toxic aspect that love can have. And we can talk about the intoxication that love can have. It just seems like it goes from one extreme to the other. How many of you ever expressed that about a relationship that you either have been in or have seen, that it's a toxic relationship, right? You're talking about love, though, right? I mean, you're talking about a relationship between two people. And we, refer, and we can use that word uh, when we talk about love, but we can also talk about, boy, we can talk about just the intoxication uh, that love comes with it. Um, love. You know, love is, is, is such an important subject. I was trying to think, okay, so we've been going to the Old Testament to take one of these characteristics of the Holy Spirit, and we've been going to the Old Testament to try to find somebody that just exemplifies it, like, really well. That's just knocking it out of the park in that subject. And so when we went, you know, when we talked about goodness, we went to Daniel because, I mean, nobody could find anything wrong with Daniel, right? And when we talked about, you know, patience, we went to Job. When we talked about kindness, we went to Ruth because, and Boaz and that whole situation because they were just knocking it out of the park in that subject. When we, I got to love, I was like, who are we going to choose? Who in the Old Testament is just knocking it out of the park in that subject? I had a real struggle with that until all of a sudden I remembered Hosea. It's really an odd thing because when you think about it, you think, man, no, he's, he was in a toxic relationship. That, that relationship was the worst relationship. He was married to a prostitute, right? He had three kids that just weren't very probably good kids. They sure didn't have good names. But Hosea himself could speak to us so much about how to love well and how to be faithful and continue, even in the midst of toxic, to continue to love. And so I decided that that's where we're going to go. And so that's what we did. And, you know, Hosea, it it was a, a toxic relationship. The thing that you find out when you read through Hosea is you realize that He didn't even get to pick his bride. How many of you didn't get to pick your bride? I mean, he didn't. I I know some cultures, they still do that, right? It is picked for them. But in this situation, God did the choosing. That's so interesting to me from the beginning, that it is God, the creator of the universe, takes one of his prophets, one of his chosen, and says, I'm going to pick your bride for you. And if God ever told you that, I bet you would be like, that is so awesome. God's going to do it. This has got to do, go well, right? In fact, I've known some of you are like, God's picking the next one, right? <laughs> uh, this, this one uh, is not going to be uh, my choosing. And, and I just think that we would have thought or would think that if God's going to choose a bride for one of his people, one of his chosen, one of his prophets, she's going to be awesome. And what does God say? I want us to jump ahead here in chapter 1, verse 2. And this is what God said. It says, When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a... What? What does that say? Does that not just seem weird to you? That that's coming from God's lips? Like, that's God's idea of a good choice? A good wife? Hosea, go, go marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. I don't know about you, but that would have been such a heavy burden, right? I mean, I suppose, like I told Uh, um, my Sunday school or a couple of them that were coming in early. I suppose he got to choose in the sense that he got to choose between the prostitutes. I don't know how many there were there, but like if there were 10, he got to choose between the 10, which one am I going to take home and marry? Which one do I think mom will approve of? Um, But that is just such a shocker from the beginning that God would, this was God's idea. He lived in the Northern kingdom. The kingdoms were split, right? He lived in the Northern Kingdom. He preached for about 25 years, Hosea. And he was preaching at a time that the, the moral decline was so horrible. In fact, uh, Jeroboam was the, the uh, king in the Northern Kingdom, probably the worst king ever for sure that was on God's So in the midst of this, the lowest that, that's God's people the Israelites, the Hebrew people, could have ever gone, God used it as an opportunity to give them a living illustration of his love for them. And so God comes up with this idea, Hosea, you're going to go marry a prostitute, and I'm going to use your life as a living billboard, as a living message. You, everywhere you go, people are going to know that that's I love them in spite of what they were and what they do. And, and God chose Hosea to do this in the midst of this. God wanted to ex, ex, somehow explain to this nation that even though we are in a toxic relationship, and the reason it's toxic is because the people would not love God back. God was so faithful. Throughout all generations, he was, they were constantly wandering away from him, constantly chasing after other things, and he was constantly going after and of them to bring them back. And he was constantly trying to help them understand, I love you. My, my love is undying. My love is eternal. My love is forever. And I am, I am in this for the long haul, but you make it almost impossible to have a relationship because you won't love me back. This is how God was feeling, but they were not getting it. And so God decided that he was going to give them a living illustration of the way that he was feeling about this situation. So, Hosea, go marry a prostitute. Have, If you go on, it it reads there, go and have children with this prostitute. Have whoredom children is what uh, the ESV says. And I will name them. And I'll I'll call one of them Jezreel just to point out the fact of of just how wayward this nation has been. I'm gonna name one of them No Mercy, you know, because if you do not get a a handle on this, this is how this relationship's gonna end. There's gonna eventually be a separation that is eternal and I can't do anything about. There there's and he just begins to name Hosea's children. I don't know about you, but that would be the hardest thing. To be that living billboard. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But when I was studying through this and just seeing that God saw his people like, like, like Hosea would have saw his wife as a prostitute. And yet he longed For her to love him back and only him, to have a, you know, this this relationship with them. Um, I just, I, I, I thought, I know there's other places in God's word that he expresses this, like that this dilemma that he sees where. Where he loves these people that he has created, but they won't love him back. And that he sees them, he can't help but see them as prostitutes that are always wandering. You know, when, when they're home, yeah, he feels loved by them. Just like we are here today, and maybe God is feeling loved by us. But then, then they, they leave, and they end up wanting to chase after other things and other nations instead of wanting him to be their God. And he just feels so like violated in the relationship. And, and he, I know that there's other places he expressed this. And so I went looking for some of the others. And I, I had no idea what I was going to run up against. They're everywhere. Like, for instance, I'm going to read one of them to you. One of them is in Jeremiah chapter 3. This is where God is expressing this attitude that he has He says, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? God's posing a question, right? Would not that land be greatly polluted? And then what does he say here? He says, you have played the whore with many lovers. And would you return to me, declares the Lord? Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and sea. Where have you been where have you not been ravished? By the wayside you have set aside set awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. Therefore the showers have been withheld and the spring rain has not come, yet you have the four head of a whore you refuse to be ashamed and this is just one place where like god is trying so desperately to get through to them the way that he is he's in this toxic relationship but he wants so bad it to be you know a loving relationship Anyway, I went from there and I just found other places like you can look up later. I'm not going to read this, but Ezekiel 16, 14 through 63. You can look up Revelation and just read chapter 17 and 18 and you will see the heart of God and how he sees himself in this toxic relationship. I want you to read one more because I just want want you to understand where God's coming from, why would God do this to Hosea? Why would he do this to Hosea? And the thing I want you to remember is that because God loves people so much. Anyway, here's one in Ezekiel 23, 1 through 5, and Lori says, do not read that <laughs> from the pulpit. So I'm not going to. You're just going to read it to yourself. But I always want you to read this. But I want you to see the heart of God when it comes to His people. Some of you that haven't been through your Bibles, you're probably like, I had no idea. That God spoke like that, that God thought like that, that God verbalized his heart like that. I don't know who these women are, but that's how God felt about that relationship. Anyway, there are more of these types of scriptures in the Bible. And again, it's just just the heart of God, you know, wanting so desperately for these people that he created. He wanted so desperately to have a relationship. When you read through Hosea, and I hope you do this week, but when you get to chapters four through eleven there's a section there that just is there's there's a phrase that 's just constantly being repeated over and over and over and and it's just this: "You lack knowledge." He was just referring to that the people his people lacked knowledge, and he 's not talking about head knowledge here you know there's there's different understandings of of what he's talking about, I mean, there's different words to explain what he's talking about, but the word knowledge, he's not talking about you lack head knowledge. That's not what God's saying. He's he's saying is you, you lack knowing me. You don't know me. You know what I mean? It's, it's like when you're in a relationship, when you first begin that relationship, something that is really awesome, if that relationship goes any further than the first date, right, is just a, a span of time where you're just getting to know one another, right? And you want to. If the relationship goes, and most of you are are married that are sitting here, and the reason that you're married is because there was a period of time that all you wanted to do is get to know that other person. You wanted to know what their dreams were, what their thoughts were, how they viewed things. And you spent time, endless time. When you're away from them, you couldn't wait to get back with them. And boy, some of you are like, man, it's a good thing we didn't have phones. We would have been on it all the time too, right? Um, but you, you had that period of time, and that's what God is talking about here, is he's saying to them, you have no knowledge of me. You have not spent any time getting to know me. And he just talks about this yearning of wanting to know his people, and he wants them to know him as well. So he uses his servant, Hosea, to try to give this living message. And it's a love message, really, right? It seems pretty stern. It seems pretty graphic. But doesn't that seem like a crazy thing that God says to Hosea, go and marry a prostitute? How many of you I sat down with your son or your daughter and you're just like, okay, I want to talk to you today about what kind of person to marry. You know what a prostitute is? That's really what I want you to pursue. Nobody does that to their children, right? I'm trying to do the complete opposite (laughs) right now. I'm having that conversation like Proverbs 7 And the father is saying to the son, avoid such women as these. So why would God do this? Here's the thing I want you to see and understand about love is that love can cause you to do the craziest things. And you know this right already. Love can cause you to do the craziest things. And in this case, even God, this just doesn't this seems so out of character for God. To express himself this way but but it's love that has driven him to this place, that he would do this thing and and, and you do you, you understand that right? that love does that, that it causes you to do the craziest things, and you do understand that God loves you this much you see this is this is why god says you know what, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to take my son and I'm going to hang him on a cross. I'm going to hang him on a piece of wood where people mock him, spit upon him, beat him, shove rods into his side, make fun of him, humiliate him as much as possible. What kind of God does that? It's a God that is acting out of love. You see, God loved those people so much, he took Hosea and says, go marry a prostitute. You're going to be my living billboard. God loves you so much that he says, he takes takes Jesus and sticks him on a cross and says, you're going to be my living billboard. You're going to be what draws people to me and helps people understand my love for them. You know Romans chapter five verse seven. It says, "For one who scarcely died for a for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good good person one would dare to die." He's kind of setting us up here, just so you know. God's saying, or Jesus is saying this. Actually, Paul is saying this, but about God. Um, But he's setting this up. He's saying, rarely will somebody die for a really good person. But God died for really bad people is basically where this is heading. But God, the righteous one, shows his love for us and that while we were still, what? Sinners. I don't think God would think that we were stepping over the bounds if we were to even put something more vile than sinners in that place just so that we would understand that that's what that's how amazing god's love is while we were still wayward still running after something other than god while we were still knew that god existed but we wanted something our heart craved for something else god still died for us And the whole point of that passage of Scripture is just to point out how much God loves us. God wants His love to make an impact on us. He wants His love to transform us. Somehow to convince us to come back to Him, right? And to pursue Him and to continue to to find satisfaction in Him and Him alone. To have a, a monogamous relationship with our God, and not to always be wandering after other things. So Hosea is going to be this living billboard. His family is going to be this living billboard. His children. And don't forget, this isn't a parable. You know, Jesus told parables in the New Testament, right? And and a parable is a story. Most of them probably were were fictional stories that Jesus was using to illustrate and to teach. This isn't a fictional story. This is a real man's life that God uses. I don't know about you, but this is what we talked also about in Sunday school. But that kind of thing has always scared me to death how God has the sovereign right to choose how he wants to use each and every one of us. Because that's just what love love is. Remember what our one point is. Love is powerful. It's so powerful that it causes us to do the craziest things. Like it caused even God to take Hosea and says, you as a righteous man are going to go marry a prostitute. You're going to have these kids and your relationship's going to be toxic all of your life just so that these people will understand how much I love them. That's your job. And and with that, just reminds me of the fear that I had when I realized for the first time the, the power and the dimension of God's love for me. When I first, as 21 years old, first realized that God loved me so much, he wanted to save me from my sins. And I wanted to love him back so much but I was terrified. You know why? Because I was afraid of what he would want, he would require of me in this relationship. What he would want from me in this relationship. Where would he want me to go? What would he want me to do? Who would he want me to talk to? And I already had visions of what he might want of me. Right? I'm just like, well, I, I don't know. To love you back God fully and you only, I don't know, it terrifies me. And love is that, it's so powerful. It can it has a lot of fear involved in it too. It can be scary, it can be dangerous to love. Jeremiah went to camp last week, high school camp, had a great time. We constantly were wondering what he was up to and if everything was going well. We were praying for him all week long. He come back and he was on cloud nine. He was in love with God and he was in love with a girl named Skylar. I mean, those two people just made his week and we were super excited. I, I didn't know anything about Skylar. She She seems like a real sweet girl. She wrote him a little love letter. I remember getting love letters when I was a kid. You know, and you just had this thought. I mean, you're just like, this is the person. There is nobody else that's ever going to come into my life. This is it. And that was kind of the expression of of this letter to Jeremiah, and it was super sweet. Um, And it just, you know, the whole thing about it was just really really a sweet little thing, but uh, he was wanting to share all about this young lady, first thing I ask is, where does she live? And he says, Kansas City. And I'm just thinking, I want to know more about her. I mean, that's, that's a long ways away, right? If it was in town, we'd have to be like, okay, sit down, son. <laughs> You're taking this too fast, too, too quick, right? Um, but distance is always kind of nice. But the whole point, I'm just pointing out, not wanting to embarrass my son over there. Probably already did. But love. It's such an awesome thing, wonderful thing. We've all experienced it. It's definitely a powerful thing, a dangerous thing. It has so many dimensions. It can be toxic at times. It can be intoxicating at times. Love. But we can be blinded by love. We can do crazy things because of love. Love. And God is no different in the sense that he has done crazy, crazy things for us. Just like hanging his son on the cross to express his love. Why did, why, does Jesus, why did Jesus do that? Why did God want Jesus to do that? Because somehow he has to convince you and he has to convince me and he has to convince the world that he loves them so much that it will somehow change them. Right? Right? The only reason he would do this to Hosea is because he wanted to change the people, their heart, and turn them to himself. They had to somehow see the depth of his, this God's love for them. Hosea's wife, because of her nature, she was at home at times. I mean, she had three kids, right? But she was also wondering all the time. And every time she would wonder and go find another man, what is it that God told him to do. Hosea, go get her. Go get her, bring her back. And I think Hosea wanted to. I think somehow in the midst of all this crazy, toxic relationship, Hosea just had this heart of wanting to keep her home. And he's constantly, he goes and he pays for her and ransoms her, you know. And he pays for her and he brings her back and he tries to build this relationship with her. And it's just, it's just as a terrible relationship. But it is a relationship just like God with his people. God just is this relentless lover. I mean, he just, he loves us so much that he just continues to come and get us, come and get us. So he tells parables like, like the prodigal son, right? Of this son who wants nothing to do with his dad. And he goes off and he squanders all of his invest I mean, his inheritance and everything else. Eventually he comes to his senses, realizes that he had a really good back home and he wants to go back, but he's just like, i don't deserve anything that i once had but when he finally has enough courage to at least head that way when the father sees him what does the father do he just goes and he grabs him and he says let's kill the fattened calf let's celebrate my son who was dead is now alive and he just loves him why do we have that story because we have a God who wants, you, wants to convey to people how much he loves his people in spite of how they behave, in spite of their waywardness, in spite of them always wandering. God wants us to be that way. The effects of being unloved or not being loved, they're horrible, aren't they? I mean, if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about here, then you've never been rejected. That's what we, in fact, that's why it's so hard sometimes for us to even step into a relationship is because we're fearful of rejection. We know that rejection can just crush the spirit. And God isn't wanting to crush anybody's spirit. He's wanting to love them so much it changes them. To, to change them. So, okay, here we are. What's the takeaway? Because we haven't even really got to what i am come here to tell you. What it take? takeaway? Well, we know that God loves us, and I bet you knew that before you came, right? And he will do crazy things to convince you how much he loves you, like hanging his son on a cross. And he wants to convince you how much he loves you because he wants to change you. He wants to make you into somebody that just wants him and wants him only and wants to build this relationship with him but that's not all there's something else that he wants of you and i want to express this to you we're going to start with a song i came across this song just listening to music trying to get in the mood right and this spoke so strongly to me i texted to matthew and i said matthew you think it'd be possible for you to sing this song? I kind of assumed that he had heard it, I'd never heard it. He's like, Well, that's a new one to me. He said, I don't know, let me let me see. And this was like middle of the week, towards the end of the week, and this is how talented this man is. He texts me back, I think Friday, and he's like, Yeah, I think I could do that. And so he's gonna come and sing a song to you. And I want you just to take everything that I just said and see if you can't figure out what God is wanting to say to you in particular, his children, his people. His Hoseas, and see if he you can figure out what are what we're talking about here. Thank you, Matthew. You know, uh, I have preached through Hosea before, and I went at it, I think, in the wrong way. I was thinking we're like Israel. Um, in reality, I'm talking to a bunch of Hoseas. You know, I'm not talking to a bunch of prostitutes. I'm talking to a bunch of people who are followers of Jesus, right? And when, when Jesus was on this earth, why was he here? I mean, to die for us, for sure but also to show us through a period of time how much God loves his people. Was, was Jesus a good lover? I mean, he found, we found him in, in the house of sinners, right? Just loving the unlovable. Everywhere he went, he was just pouring himself out, wanting to convey that God loves everyone. Everything about Jesus was trying to present that. The Bible tells us that, like, if Jesus paints this picture, like, if you're going to love me, then then you've got to love like I loved. And so he said, he's constantly saying stuff like, uh, "Love as I have loved you." You know, "Love others as I have loved you." A new command I give you: Love one another. Right. Um, he talks about all these parables, but one of them is, is like if if you give a a cup of cold water in my name, then then you you are loving on my behalf. When you go visit prisoners or when you take care of the sick, he he tells parables like the Good Samaritan." I mean, he's constantly painting a picture. What is it all this about? Well? It's, it's about that he wants us to be his billboard, just like Hosea was his billboard, a living billboard. The only way that the people around us are going to really understand the love of God is when we love like God. And so this Holy Spirit is within us, and he's constantly trying to encourage us to love this way. And I think this is such a, a good thing. We're right in the middle of this renovation, Right? And part of renovation that we're looking at is renovating our love. And I have no doubt that we, we last year and a half have been critical of so many things. In the midst of that, we end up not loving people that we should be loving. And, and I think it's really important that I don't, I don't think that God has a problem with us having a difference of opinion with people into expressing that. I don't think so. But any time that we are having a difference of opinion, those people that we are arguing with should always leave that conversation knowing how much we love them. They should never leave thinking that we are against them personally or that we don't like them personally. We should, they should, we should leave them representing God and how God would choose to love on them. And I think this song is such a good song because it's just an expression of, you know, uh, it starts off by, you know, just, you know, why am I so unlovable? Are there people in our lives that we have not loved well? I think we'd all answer, hopefully, yes. I think even in our marriages, We can even be in a toxic relationship, just like Hosea. And Hosea was told, go get his prostituting wife and bring her back home again. In other words, I want you to continue to be faithful, continue to love, not because or based on her uh, behavior, but based on your relationship with me. And you can be in a really bad marriage and still love well if the love of God has affected you. And that's the whole point I think that I'm trying to make is that God's love does this to us. Um, Was Paul a good lover before Jesus? I would say no. I mean, he was killing Christians, for one. But he was also, he was, he was full of zeal, but he was constantly, if you're on my side, I'm all for you, and if you're not on my side, I'm all against you, 100% kind of man. Jesus comes into his life, and what happens? All of a sudden, his heart is completely changed from the inside out, and now his love, is language is the same as Jesus, that he loves his enemies and he prays for those who persecute him. Same way with Peter, right? He was all this, you know, a bull in a china closet type of mentality, and he was constantly wanting to chop off people's ears and kill them and everything else. But when you read his writings after the resurrection, because the love of God changed this man's heart, he was a good lover. He just loved people everywhere he went. And he was willing to suffer just so that people could see the love of God in his life. And you read through John. Here's one of the passages of John. It says, "John, 1 John 1, 4, it says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God's sin is only son into the world so that we might live through him in this is love not that we have loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins be loved if god so loved us we ought to love one another and so if if we're going to be followers of jesus you just, we just have to understand we are going to be his billboard We are the representation. This is what the Bible tells us. We are the representation of His love. So, the people in your life, people on your Facebook, the people in in your immediate family, the people at Walmart, the people that are in this church, you are to represent the love of God to them. You are their Hoseas. And and you are going to have to put up with a whole lot. And you're going to be in some toxic relationships that are one way. Like they will not do what they are supposed to do in the relationship. And they will treat you badly at times. And they will, they will ridicule you. And they will make fun of you perhaps and whatever. But our response to that is always love them anyway. Why? Because that's what Jesus did to me. He taught me how to love And so we have this Holy Spirit in there that's going to create this kind of love. It's a love that is so different than the world produces. The love that the world produces is, you love me and I'll love you back. You be mean to me, I be mean to you back. But the love that Jesus produces in us is, you love me, I love you back. If you be mean to me, I love you back. If you treat me terribly, I love you back. I, I love you no matter what you do to me. And this is the kind of love that changes the world. It's the kind of love that changed us. It's the kind of love that changed the disciples. It's the kind of love that eventually turned a lot of these wayward people back to God is because they finally understood this love. Love is powerful. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the love of God. We thank you, Father, that you have, this love is so powerful that it can transform even our stubborn hearts. We thank you that it's so powerful that it can cause us, not only you, to do crazy things, but it can cause us to do crazy things. Where we respond with love, no matter what is coming our way. Even when we're in toxic relationships, we can still love in the midst of them and through them. But we love how powerful your love is and that how it can it can continue to not only change us but it can change those people that we are loving. Father help us just be a part of your ministry, your missions. Help we just as scary as it is some of us, maybe many of us, are here today to just say that, okay, We will be your Hoseas if you'll walk us through it, if you'll just give us the strength to get through it. We will love the way that you want us to love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.